Hi, I'm Lisa Smith Henderson, and I'm excited to launch a brand new podcast. And the podcast is called Alma, Am I Racist? Now, let me tell you a little bit about this. Alma was a beautiful, strong, courageous woman who loved me unconditionally when I was a child. Alma worked for my parents, but for me, she was a protector and a savior. Literally, she saved my life, and figuratively, she kept me from wanting to die. So I have always had this love for and soft spot for black people because Alma loved me so very much. I've been working for many years at being an anti-racist and I think of myself as being pro-black. When the Black Lives Matter movement resurfaced after the killing of George Floyd, I became much more vocal. And on another podcast I had, I did a five-part series for Black Lives Matter. And because of my passion for this, I decided it's time to create a podcast that's designed for nothing but being an anti-racist, pro-black podcast. So that's what Alma Am I Racist is all about. The idea is the spirit of Alma lives on, and the questions for the spirit of Alma are from white people. So white people asking questions to black panelists And we know we'll get insight that we wouldn't have had. And sometimes white people are too embarrassed to ask questions or they don't have the right people to ask. So that's what we're doing in this podcast. And I'm so delighted you could join us today. I am very excited. One of my son's dear friends happens to be a real Renaissance man. He is the author of a book, Breaking All the Rules, which just came out. His name is Christian A. Smith, and that's K-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-A Smith.com. Go there. You can find out everything about him. Okay, so not only is he an author, he is a great speaker. He's the pastor and founder of the faith community, And he's also the leader of Holy Smokes, Cigars, and Spirituality Movement. Now, if you haven't checked it out online, go to Christian A. Smith's Facebook page and you can find out all this stuff. His first book, uh, Breaking All the Rules, is amazing. I cannot recommend it highly enough. It's a slant that I hadn't really heard about before. And it's called Greatest Commandment Theology, which is all about love, love and inclusiveness. So this man walks the walk. Uh, He owns P-squared custom clothiers. He makes the most beautiful suits. He works with professional images for men and women. So Christian is about the outer with the P-squared custom clothiers, the beautiful clothes that he creates and makes. But he's also focused on the inner. So if you want an image consultant that takes you outside and inside and brings both to beauty, Christian A. Smith is your man. K-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-A-Smith.com. Without further ado, we're excited to have on our very first podcast of Alma Am I Racist, Christian Smith. Right now, what are some of... Three that things you can think of with, that would be the absolute worst things that white people could do. 
the absolute worst things that white people can do. Three of them. In, in wow. terms of Black Lives Matter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a great question. I think one of the worst things is apathy. Oh, okay. One, one, that's the first thing that comes to mind because what I've experienced in, in my life is that in many predominantly white churches, everything is focused on individual morality. So a lot of white people, as it pertains to race, operate in the mindset that if I am not individually racist towards anyone, then I have done my part. And then white people are completely apathetic as it pertains to the systems in place that benefit white people at the expense of everyone else. So I think one of the most dangerous things that white people can do is just say, hey, well, you know, I didn't do that. I didn't create the system, but we all operate within the system and it cannot be addressed and adjusted if the people who benefit from it are apathetic about its effects on other people. So apathy is the first thing that comes to mind. I think another, and this this one probably sounds a little crazy, but- Oh, go for it. I love crazy. <laughs> one of the worst things white people can do is outsource the responsibility of education onto their Black friends. So Amen. Thank you. There, there are so many resources available that no person has to be ignorant as it pertains to race and systemic racism in the United States. And I'm not just talking about anecdotal information because, you know, somebody told their personal story. Of course, you have plenty of personal stories, but there are facts, data, statistics that support systemic racism. White people should be careful about just going to their black friend and saying, tell me all about it. Tell me all about your struggles and how my people have oppressed your people. Read a book. <laughs> the, right. the two books that come to mind off the top of my head, and there are a number of them. Two of the most impactful books for me uh, have been The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander and The Color of Law by Rothstein. I can't remember Rothstein's first name, but the book is called The Color of Law. This is statistical data for those people who aren't moved by the stories of Black people. Go look at the stats. And those, so if somebody's a left out. brain thinker, that's a good one. Yes. Yes. If you're looking for stories and anecdotes um, with, with statistics mixed in, read Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson. And then also check out a book by one of my biggest influences, Dr. Shaniqua Walker Barnes, wrote a book called uh, I Bring the Voices of My People. So why people should not outsource their educational responsibilities about race to their Black friends. Well, and that's part of why I'm doing this show, Christian, is because a lot of the people in this particular book club that I'm in are in the Midwest and there are not a lot of black people in their circles. Mm -hmm. So they don't, they're not, they don't have the benefit like I do of having five people I can pick up the phone and call at a moment's notice or mm -hmm. 10 even. So there is no excuse for not becoming educated. What about movies? One of the ones I was told to watch was 13th, which I oh, thought yeah. was good. That was a good kind of opener. 
Are there any other either fiction or documentary that you think kind of spell things out in a nice way? Sure. The the story of Khalif Browder, there's a documentary about him. I don't remember the exact name of it, but Khalif Browder is a story of an individual who was unjustly pulled into the criminal justice system and it ultimately took his life. And he was guilty of no crime. And the importance of the Khalif Browder story goes beyond just his individual story. He is a depiction of how the criminal justice system swallows up poor black and brown people on a daily basis. So the story of Khalif Browder is great. That will that will like zoom in on some of the stuff you you uh saw in the documentary 13. Also, if you watch When They See Us about the Central Park 5, now oh, they're called yeah. the Exonerated 5. Uh, that was a mini series on Netflix that tells the story of the Central Park Five. Because so so much of what plagues black and brown people and poor people alike is how the criminal justice system treats us. Brian Stevenson has said it a number of times, the criminal justice system in America treats you better if you are guilty and rich than it treats you if you're innocent and poor. And it's set up that way. It's yes, regulated it that way. So yes. those, those would be some good resources to take a look at. Okay, terrific. All right, so the number one thing that black, white people should not do in the Black Lives Matter movement right now is don't be apathetic. Right. Get involved. The other thing is educate yourself and don't go to your black friend or friends and say, tell me everything I need to know. Right. Or what have I done wrong? Right. Take it right. upon yourself. And what would be the third thing? Uh, the third thing, I think, especially as it pertains to Black Lives Matter, is to not cross-reference the information that you hear. Because there is a specific, direct attack on the Black Lives Matter movement that strongly resembles the attack on the Black Panther movement. Strongly resembles. To this day, there are a lot of people who really don't know what the Black Panther movement was about because of the way that movement was depicted. That movement was depicted as militant Black people carrying assault rifles, going around bullying, threatening, and striking fear in the rest of the community, which is the furthest thing from the truth. But when you get caught up in narrative and spin, you start to believe only what you hear from your favorite resource. So one of the things that I do, I follow some conservative right wing pages just to see what's being said. Yeah, me too. Just to see what the enemy's up to. <laughs> right. And, so to and there are times where I have to mute that stuff because it can be draining. I think it's important that white people diversify their information sources. Like if all you listen to is Fox, you're already off to a bad start. I'm not saying don't watch Fox, but if that's your only source of information, it's Fox is geared towards a certain demographic, a certain psychographic of people, actually. Yes. And they're only going to feed you what they think you want to hear. So a lot of people right now are demonizing the Black Lives Matter movement because they don't even understand what it stands for. 
Well, no, and there's plenty, uh, there are plenty of visuals and, as you say, slanted stories out there to make Black Lives Matter look like, oh, I mean, worse than Black Panther. I mean, like conspiracies and, you know, uprisings and desecrated gravestones and all this stuff. And I thought, a lot of this stuff looks Photoshopped to me. <laughs> To begin with, and I go now, I just scroll through Facebook and report a lot of these stories that are factually incorrect. Sure, sure. And and I don't want to say I don't want to say that, Lisa, to make it seem like uh, Black Lives Matter is a perfect organization. There is no such thing. There are things that happen that people have done and they have done it in the name of Black Lives Matter. And that action was immoral or it was wrong or it was disrespectful. That happens. But that's not unique to Black Lives Matter. Any right. organization, any yes. entity does the same thing because you can't throw away the entire Black Lives Matter movement because you saw somebody do something unjust in the name of Black Lives Matter. but then you are you consider yourself an american patriot and you love america and you overlook all of the heinous crimes america has committed around the world since this country's inception like you can't have it both ways you got to take the good and the bad so let's get to the root of what black lives matter stands for and stop looking at the outliers and the fringes what i have discovered and I'd like to hear your take on it. And this is my perception as a white person. It seems to me that the people that want to denigrate Black Lives Matter are the ones who don't want to face their own racism. So that's their out. Sure. Well, sure. you know, they desecrated some uh, tombstones and they killed somebody. Therefore, I'm going to throw the whole Black Lives Matter movement out. End of story, period. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's because it's so difficult to be introspective. Hum humans are not good with introspection. We suck at it. So we're very good with noticing the immorality around us. We struggle with looking within us to see what are we doing that causes harm to other people. So any out we can find, and I, I'm saying that not just about white people. Of course, we're talking about race here today. But once again, I believe in intersectional progressivism. So I challenge black people on our homophobia the same way I challenge white people about racism. And black people struggle with seeing our own homophobia, especially when we put it against how we critique racism. And I talk to black people all the time, like, yeah, this critique of white people is correct, but we're not looking at ourselves in the, at the same time. And I don't, I don't, I don't want the white people listening to this to start using that argument, <laughs> right? Thank you. Okay, good. Let's yeah, no. let's subtext yeah. that, please. Right, right. That's something. That's an in-house issue. So I can talk to black people about our homophobia and the hypocrisy of that because I share in the oppression. But a white person who comes from the oppressive group is not in a place to lecture black people about our homophobia. Let us handle that. But still, there, there's this intersection there that I think is missed oftentimes because we're not good at introspection. As a, as a human species, you're Correct. saying. Right. Correct. Okay. Here's one of the things that I found very interesting. And this is what one of the white men 
posed. How do we help without appearing to go in and be the white savior? Mm. Yeah. Because that, that is an issue and it is a problem and it is a tendency that white people, it's like, okay, this is wrong. Let's fix it. I'm going to rush in there. What's a better way for us to approach right now in this world in which we live today? Mm-hmm. So I think a, a great question to ask for any white person who's trying to get involved is how can I support the movement? So don't come in with the intention of leading the movement and trying to make decisions on behalf of the movement. But how can I support what is already being done? How can I help to undergird what you're doing? And sometimes, and this is a, this is a, a tricky balance. Being an ally is a tricky balance because you have to balance when should I speak? When should I be silent? Right. right? And you also have to be humble enough to acknowledge when you messed up because the work of allyship, which is what we're talking about here, is rocky terrain and it's inevitable that you're going to mess up. So when you come in, you ask, how can you support? And then you ask for the grace to make mistakes at times. It's like, hey guys, I'm trying to figure this out. I'm, I'm trying to be the best ally I can. If I mess up, if I make a mistake, please call me on it so I can adjust. But what happens is a lot of times white people get into black liberation movements and then get offended when somebody challenges them. Well, I mean, I've had it happen. As I told you, I go to a predominantly black church and I've screwed up recently, like in the midst of discussion about race and healing. And I had one woman in a Zoom call and she's... She was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're thinking about this from a white person's viewpoint. Because I was Mm. like, you know, we need every time another one of these crimes happen, we need to process it. And she was like, we're we're desensitized. Mm -hmm. You Go talk to your white friends about that. But don't be thinking you need to call a, a forum in order to process the badness of the black crimes. I was like, wow, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you for calling me on that because it was an just a microcosm of my white privilege. Mm-hmm. I'm very fortunate that I've had people who care about me enough and feel comfortable enough to say, but I've also asked a couple of black friends, would you call me out on it? Mm-hmm. And one friend of mine said, I don't know. And I was like, I have to have that. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm not so sensitive that I can't say, wow, that's a big screw up. And and that's about trust, right? Like a lot of black people, honestly, because of their experiences, just don't trust white people. So even when you're trying your best to be an ally, you just have to be aware some black people aren't going to trust you because especially depending on where you grew up. Like I grew up in California, so the racism wasn't as blatant. There was still plenty. Let's not forget that the Black Panther movement uh, started in Oakland, California. But my wife grew up in Gainesville, Georgia, where the Ku Klux Klan had marches in downtown. And there were stores where she couldn't use the restroom. So some people, some black people just aren't going to trust white people. I had three black elders in the church that I sat down with before I moved to South Africa. They were in their 80s and 90s at the time. And 
I asked them, what can I do when I go to South Africa? And they said, you, you need to be an agent of change, but listen to some of our stories. So they told me some stories and I was just like blown away. And one woman who's now 97 said to me, Lisa, I don't know if I will ever trust white people. Uh And I said, the fact that you could say that to me tells me that you trust me enough with that information to say it. Uh And I said, I don't blame you at at all. I mean, white people almost killed her. So why would you trust white people? And I think as whites, we can't get defensive. Absolutely. I mean, when you've been burned by something so many times, you just decide I'm not going to touch that anymore because every time I've touched it in the past, it burned me. So I'd rather just not deal with that and figure out how to live my life in a way that doesn't require me to, to deal with that thing that burned me time and time and time again. And that's, that's difficult for white people to process because that's not white people's lived experience. Generally speaking, not, I'm not trying to overgeneralize the experience of white people, but generally white people's issue with black people is based on what they heard based on what they saw in a news report, based on a narrative that they were fed, not based on their actual interactions with Black people. Because white people can go through their entire lives and never have to deal with Black people on any level. But for Black people, if we're going to have any upward mobility in this country, we have no choice but to deal with white people. So generally, we know y'all better than you know us because we've had to make the adjustment and learn how to navigate your world where you have to be so intentional. You had to go join a predominantly black church to get that experience of what it was like to be a cultural minority. And it's only in that space, right? That for, for those few hours a week or how, however frequently you interact with your church, that's the time you spend as a cultural minority. But like, that's how we live on a daily basis. That's how we live. And it can, it is uncomfortable. I live in, I'm the only white person in my entire neighborhood. Mm-hmm. And, and I know when I moved in, some of my neighbors are like, does she understand where she just moved? Yeah. <laughs> and I just, I, I love it. And I feel comfortable here. And I've lived in close to this neighborhood for uh, 15 years. Okay. So I'm used to being in the minority when I go to the grocery store. And what I noticed is, of course, there was a pandemic going on. But when I went out with just a regular mask on, and because I've lived in this neighborhood so long, I know what my normal interactions with Black people would be. It was different. People weren't making eye contact. They were walking right by me. And I was like, I don't know what to do. And my daughter said, get a Black Lives Matter pin. Well, I ended up getting a Black Lives Matter mask. Mm. my whole experience is different. It's like, because now I am perceived if, if not as not the enemy, maybe even an ally. Correct. And so I've tried to really think of ways to do that. My aunt lives in North Carolina and she was like, what do I do, Lisa? And I said, get yourself a black lives matter mask. And she goes, to where to the food lion in my little white North Carolina country town? And I said, absolutely. Right. 
Yeah. I, I mean, I, I totally agree. I totally agree that it, it's a it's a signal to black people that you're safe because we frequently don't feel safe in crowds of white people. We, we just don't with and that's with good reason. That's based on our lived experience. Yes. <laughs> we don't feel safe. I, you know, I get I, I live in a neighborhood that is predominantly black and brown and I feel so fit safe. When I encounter white people in my neighborhood, I wonder, okay, what brings you here? And not because I don't want you here. I just want to make sure that you don't have a problem with me. Right. <laughs> right. You know, because because one of the things, you know, talking about the Black Lives Matter movement, it, it started in response to police brutality. So white people have always been able to weaponize law enforcement against us. That's why I have this debate with myself about who who fears who more between black men and white women because i i fear white women not because of what they can do to me directly but i know if a white woman wants to take me down she can call the cops and if it's not caught on camera or something and she calls the cops and accuses me of doing something i don't know what's going to happen I actually had that happen earlier this year. I'm I am scheduled for a second surgery right now because there was a white woman with a dog in my apartment complex who was hostile towards me and her dog actually charged me like unprovoked and in that process I tore cartilage in my knee. Now the dog but when I fell, the dog got about 2 feet away from my face and he stopped. I think the dog stopped because I was on the ground. So it no longer felt any type of threat. So when I called the police about this lady, having already reported her to the front office of my apartment complex, when the police showed up, her daughter came out, who was about my age, and immediately accused me of harassing her mother for weeks and said she wanted me arrested. She wanted a restraining order. The only thing that saved me is that I had already reported her mom who had the dog to the front office on multiple occasions. Thank but God. It, I, I had never seen this woman who was accusing me of harassing her mother. I never encountered her. She, uh, the first thing she did when she saw the cops was arrest this man. And I want to take out a restraining order. I don't feel comfortable around white women a lot. No, so, I guess not. Yeah. That, and that was this year. 2020. I will be, I have surgery in about a month and a half. I'll be on crutches for eight weeks because of that. And I've already had one surgery. Dear God. So these stories are are real. And a lot of times people think these stories, white people think these stories are isolated incidents. We all have stories like this. Well, and that's the thing. This is what I feel like white people are missing out, which is why I'm very grateful to you to come talk to me today is that they don't have the benefit of hearing these stories like I've had for many, many years of listening and sitting in shock because this happened and this happened this year. Right. right. To you. Right. And the the assumption is, you know, I'm this big black guy. I'm in my workout clothes. So she doesn't know who I am or what I do or what I represent because I'm not walking around in the clergy collar and I got earrings in my ear, I got a young face. So they just put us all in this broad category. 
well, like, what if, what if I told you I was a, a pastor and a founder of a church and a business owner and somebody who advocates for justice on a daily basis? Would you think of me differently? Maybe, maybe not. But I bet you wouldn't assume that's what I do. I think anybody in their right mind would be hard pressed to figure out what you do because you are so multi-talented. They couldn't take one look at you and figure out you're a custom clothier. You uh, have are a pastor. You started a church. You host podcasts and webcasts, and uh, you and your wife do incredible work as far as uh, therapy and theology, and so. I find you very impressive. Oh, and let's not forget that you're an author as well. And your new book, Breaking All the Rules, is fabulous. It's a great read. I can caution people, do not read it at night because it's thought-provoking and it might keep you up as it did me. It's not the kind of book that you read to put you to sleep. Great, great book, Breaking All the Rules. If you want to know more about what Christian Smith does, go to K-R-I-S-T-I-A-N-A smith.com. I thank you for being with me today and sharing with the white people that want to make a difference, that want to change, that want to learn. Oh yeah, it's my pleasure. I'm 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 glad to be here and uh, I had a great time. Thank you. I did too and I hope you'll come back and join us again. Yeah, let me know. Be glad to. Christian, great to have you here. If you'd like to know more about Alma Am I Racist, go to almaamiracist.com.